G'day and welcome back to the Voice of a Veteran podcast. I am here with Sam, the lady herself, Sam Assa. Say hello, Sam. Hello, Heston. Hello, everyone. So for those who don't know, Sam is actually the wizard behind the curtain. Um, (laughs) (laughs) She has literally been the uh, engine room behind Voice of a Veteran since the start. I worked with Sam... um, on and off over the last two years in a variety of different roles and when first set out on this really realized that I need someone of her character competence attitude and amazingness on the team and she is literally officially the only employee of voices of a veteran and I want to bring Sam into this because it's really been a a big two weeks traveling around this country in the lead up to Anzac Day and while we do all this stuff behind the scenes, Sam's also that person that really provides me with a very unique, authentic, accountable perspective. Without any um, experience in the military prior to this, Sam's just one of those people who um, provides a very unique and different opinion and very rapidly has had to assimilate into the military life. And that's really culminated this last two weeks with Anzac Day. So, Yes. Well, it's amazing actually that you say that because it feels like I know so much about something that I know so little about you know what I mean by just being so immersed in it and so thanks for that it's gonna be it's gonna be great to hear some of the insights so I mean we're recording this with the intent to release it immediately to get this out and have some nice fresh content out there because Anzac Day was just this last Sunday and I I call the experience nourishing. It was so great getting out there and meeting so many of those of you who listen to this podcast and hearing how many people said how much they do listen to this podcast and how much it impacts them. And that wasn't just veterans. That was random people I'd never met before <laughs> off the street, you know, partners of veterans, just people who've never served before but have come across this podcast and were really um, touched by it or wanted to discuss some of the topics raised and otherwise as you know we're probably looking to put this podcast to the side for a bit because there's been so much else going on but to realize that it's actually affecting and helping people and getting back to that first purpose yeah and I'm probably that person that whilst you're out doing all the things that you're doing and advocating and and being you know full of what you're doing I get to see the trickle of impact that it is having through people that are writing us or sending reviews or comments and like I'm doing the best to to go through all the messages that we love receiving about how this is making an impact and I do my best to kind of share them through to you all the time of going hey like this is the impact that this is having just by having these conversations and sometimes we don't realize the impact we're having until you know people write in or have those types of conversations so it's amazing to hear. Yeah that's probably a really key point. Sam is the lady that really um, is is answering and receiving most of the emails and messages and every platform that we get. And uh, Sam does an amazing job of um, screenshotting or, or capturing some of those really key positive messages that a lot of you send through. And she sends them through to me on the regular because um, Sam knows I sit there and particularly when things go quiet, a little bit of self-doubt creeps in and she gives me this little... <laughs> I remind him <laughs> and I make him read them so he, they, they do get through to him. <laughs> yes, I must appreciate that. But So what we had, we had uh, start of last week, all of a sudden, uh, we had the announcement of the retention of the meritorious unit citation. So again, you know, Sam was the person who set up that survey, 
on the website when it first went out and in a very panicked weekend phone conversation, like we need to get a survey up and next thing, 50,000 signatures in five days and next thing finally we're at the point of that's been announced and then that lunchtime, <laughs> the announcement of the Royal Commission. Uh, and for those who weren't aware, I sort of got a bit of a tip off that it was coming probably that week, but didn't know I was going to be bam, bam on that same day. And So w- talk me through that though. Like talk me through both of those announcements come on one day. What was that like for you? Um, well, as you know, <laughs> that Sunday I had actually just been down in Sydney and went on Paul Murray Live that Sunday and I actually went out with some friends that Sunday night and had a lot of drinks and got home at about three o'clock and then got on a flight at nine o'clock after about four hours sleep. And then all of a felt su- sorry for yourself. <laughs> all of a sudden, the announcement started coming in. And by the time I landed, I had Channel Seven, Nine, Ten, and everyone else in between wanting to have a a, a press. I think uh, we had fifteen. I think the list was like fifteen different media things, and uh, you had just got off a flight. And I was dusty, and in the w- I haven't had many drinks in a while. People, when I drink, I get a little bit sad afterwards, as Sam knows as well. <laughs> but it was. I just wanted to let off some steam and, yeah, next thing there was photo shoots and whatever and feeling terrible. But it was just incredible seeing the results of so much hard work of so many different people culminating on a week that was leading up to Anzac Day. Because, I mean, you've heard me say, and I sort of got a little bit sad, uh, particularly after we worked so hard to get that motion pushed through the Senate and pushed through Parliament. And when it didn't get you know, immediately called by the Prime Minister, then everything went quiet for two weeks. As you've seen, I really struggle when it goes quiet. And the whole strategy I spoke to Sam about was if we can get this called, you know, and then leading up to Anzac Day and then Anzac Day, it's our chance to really help turn the tide on resetting and putting some positivity out there in the veteran community. And when everything went quiet, I got a little bit sad. What's the struggle of the quietness? Like, what do you go through? Uh... Well, it's just that when there's literally you've done everything you can do and you're completely relying on others and it's so blatantly clear that it's the right thing to do. Like in this case, it was literally like our democratic process <laughs> mm-hmm. had been completed and voted on in the upper house and the lower house and public opinion was there and then like the prime minister wasn't even acknowledging it. It was just playing games and you sort of sit there. It's that feeling of helplessness mm. like you know like there's nothing more I can do and then when it goes quiet I sort of start sitting there and thinking you know well what have I done have I pushed too hard did I push them into a corner have you know is there something else I could have done better you know it's just that constant reassessment you know when there's not that looking forward purpose that reflection starts to go back to and as opposed to constructively look back because Essentially, you've kind of been met with failure, you know, temporarily failure, which I need to work on as opposed to having success and failure. There needs to be more patience in the middle, which, you know, I need to (laughs) work on patience. So besides then feeling a bit dusty on this day and having all this stuff come through, what what kind of significance did it have for you with both of them being called on the one day? Oh, that was pretty huge. I think, as you've helped me realise, there needs to be a lot more stopping and smelling the roses. Mm. You know, as soon as that was occurred, it's like, right, boom, 
immediately need to shift the message to be so positive, especially leading up to Anzac Day. And I know you heard like a lot of the media people trying to say, you know, why is it taking them so long? Were they drag kicking and screaming? And it's like, hey, it's like Anzac Day. You know, we've worked so hard behind the scenes to try and get parades turned back on, particularly in Sydney. Uh, and we're up in Brizzy in order to prepare for like a, a proper Anzac Day and just wanting to focus on that key message because, I mean, as you were seeing, you know, the amount of negativity and resentment and emotion that is within the veteran community. I'm fascinated to hear your insights because you get to see it on emails. And we've said on a previous podcast about how everyone has a story. Mm. And Sam's that person on the front line uh, that is receiving so many messages like, Hundreds, we're talking hundreds of emails each week and some of them are really people pouring out their hearts and you get to see the true or get to gauge. And I'm interested to hear where you, where you get to gauge the emotion of the community we engage with. Mm. And it's so mixed depending on like, like it's so triggered depending on what's going on in the media and what new thing has been, you know, ramped up, which I totally understand. But something that I just find so fascinating is the original survey we did at the very start, which was like, tell me about your transition experience and how many people's experience, even in different words, all came back to a lack of identity, a lack of purpose, a lack of feeling like they feel valued. And so I continue to see that people's emotive responses that come through off the reaction of something that's happened is triggered by similar themes. Like it's still coming through that it's like, I feel undervalued based on X, Y, Z. I feel like this is this is like tugging at my lack of purpose outside of this. I don't know where to go from here. And I think, you know, people are drawing, because you speak so openly and authentic about that stuff, people are starting to create their own map of like, oh, maybe I'm going through something similar. And yeah. so I find that fascinating that people are experiencing in their transition those key themes that yeah. is something that is actually so human you know yeah and this is where because like you said it, it it becomes so readily reactive to what is going on in the media in whatever and that's where we sort of even when I start to get some of those questions internally about like you know making and trying to raise awareness on these topics is that actually sort of fanning and fueling the fire yeah. And it's sort of that catch-22 because the only reason why I believe we've been able to actually achieve some pretty rapid results is because as per the original sort of strategy statement I told you, the only way we get politicians to act on these things is with noise and numbers when they think it starts affecting their public opinion and ultimately votes. But then in doing so, it very easily creates this as a very emotive topic, which you know, putting emotion into an already emotional situation readily triggers people to then lead and think and decide with emotion. But then also you're right, like with everyone has their story. Like yeah. everyone has a story that is so uniquely different and and heartbreaking at the best of times. And, you know, it's like, what do you do with that? Yeah, and that's, I mean, as you got to see... Uh, the big realisation about how much emotion and what I call resentment, you know, defining this moral injury, moral trauma as essentially something that's happened to someone and there's it's left resentment mm. and the requirement to go back and dig that up. And that was the key revelation I took from, in particular, listening to Nikki Jamison at that um, 
National Commissioner Symposium into Defence and Veteran Suicide we had the other month and realising that even just this topic of the Royal Commission versus National Commissioner was no longer this conversation on policy, it was a conversation that was deeply embedded in emotion and until people felt valued enough to have the highest recognition being a Royal Commission called into these problems, we would forever not go back and completely dig up their resentment. And as you know, that's this whole opportunity moving forward. But I want to cover off on, particularly for those listening, what we sort of got up to this last two weeks, because after that great announcement and all media craziness and all that goodness, uh, what we already had planned was to join Jackie Lambie and the team who had been long campaigning for this Royal Commission, including Julianne Finney, Karen Bird, um, Nikki Jamison and a bunch of the veteran groups and individuals down in Melbourne mm. actually at the uh, rally that they staged on the uh, steps of Victoria Parliament House and that was on that was on Saturday that was the Saturday before Anzac Day and uh, this time took Sam down Sam came and, and travelled and was on the ground it was on the ground <laughs> well it's actually funny when that announcement first happened the Monday before I called Sam straight up and after going through two similar surges Sam's on the Gold Coast I'm in Brizzy it's like hey can you come here <laughs> <laughs> So Sam packed up in her car and came and stayed at this fair in at mum's and we sort of <laughs> had some overnight just madness. But then, yeah, we got together and uh, travelled down to Melbourne and it was great because Sam got to be there and interface with a bunch of um, veterans from all sorts of, um, all walks of life, all, all forms of shape, shadows, ages and experiences. And I'm intrigued to see your reflections from, from that. Mm. The one thing is just like the passion and the heart that people bring. Like even from normally when I'm like watching all your media or watching like hearing stuff through, you know, all the politics, all of that kind of stuff, I'm still, you know, looking through the lens of what most people are. But being there and I think, sorry, and going back through that lens, it feels so aggressive and like reactive and like so full on, you know. Yeah. But being there, it's actually like this just like, peaceful heart and passion yeah. and like and com- compassion of people that are just there like fully in support of each other like fully got the back of each other and just there unite uniting on a purpose that's like for the greater good of the veteran community and I think yeah. that's what I loved about it like I think there was a point where all the motorbikes were coming down the street and this they were singing true blue and like everyone was just there gathered and I just had like goosebumps like all down my spine it was like yeah. such a different environment to what I expected it to be and then having the police like fully supporting and it just felt like so warming and so like it just felt like everyone was like yes here united on this purpose all together and like we're gonna do what we need to do it felt very yeah community connecting didn't it like you said there were a bunch of the Victorian state police there you know with all their vests out in force but they were actually you know, even radioing through from where the motorbikes had stepped off. There was about 300 motorbikes that drove from um, one of the memorials to the Parliament House and then um, parked their bikes and came out and we just had some some speeches and and connected um, and had some conversations. But the police were, like, radioing through that the bikes were stepping off and directing traffic and it really was a very, like, permissive and supportive environment. And it's... It's fascinating to sit and watch that in particular. Like watching those 300 bikes or so roll down the street, that was really impressive to see because as 
most veterans listening to this would know, <laughs> particularly outside of service, it's so hard to coordinate a group <laughs> to actually follow through on what they're doing these days. But uh, to see that show of force in friendship and in support as opposed to destruction was great. But it sort of makes me wonder, like, do we need to have these causes that we're looking to take our hammers against as opposed to build up to generate this level of community connection and action? Because mm. um, there's a lot of words, you know. You, yeah. you and I have got to see a lot, of, a lot of words but not a lot of action and follow through. But it was so nice to see that, you know, like people who said they're going to be there and they're there. Yeah. And people who were like, I want to support you and showed up. Like, I think that says so much that people are willing to actually not just sit back and hope that everyone else does the work and sit back and listen. But they're like, I want to get involved. And a lot of this, the things that we see coming through on emails is like, how do we support? Like, what do we do to help? How to a lot of like civvies, how do we help the veterans? Like, and it's like just doing something like do yeah. something yeah that's it you know we've had such great responses from people when we've asked them to please write to your local member please send this out you know people are waiting to be activated that's been a key part i've sort of realized is that sometimes you just have to actually take people up on that or also not be afraid to ask them if you do need support i mean that's sort of the whole narrative over <laughs> where we're failing on too many fronts but anyway, so Melbourne, I think I thought was great. They definitely renewed myself, my spirits as far as bringing people together. And then we were on a flight that afternoon back up to uh, Gold Coast because then that next morning it was Anzac. we attended, yeah, the, the dawn service at Corumban. And have you attended Anzac Days before? No, this is my first experience. Oh, really? Yeah. So like military and the family... No, not like directly. Like there's in the family, it is in the family, but it's not something that I get like, it's like greats and, you know, okay. whatnot. So, so I don't have anything direct. I've always had an interest in um, celebrating in some form. Sometimes it's just been a bit of two up. Other yeah. times it's been like getting up early with people and like watching a sun. The last year it was like watching a sunrise and listening to it because of COVID fire yeah. phone. Um, but I haven't been to a dawn service like that. And I also haven't been to a march like we went to. Oh, wow. So very quickly, I'll let you know what we did. And then I'll throw it over to Sam to really talk through her reflections before I influence them. But so in the morning, you know, what did we leave at? Woke up at 3.30, left at 4 to get to uh, Corumban RSL, where we attended the dawn service. Uh, they had a thousand people there ticketed and... Uh, free, but as in a thousand control just due to restrictions, and then it was live televised on Channel Seven, and then uh, we had to lickety split into the city to do a cross with the Today Show at eight thirty at the Brisbane Memorial, um, the Anzac Memorial, Anzac Square, sorry, and then um, Sam linked up with my mum uh, to watch the parade while I marched with my crew in the parade, and then the day was done. After that, they left me to my own devices, but um. You know, for me, that's just like sort of a very normal, minus all the media stuff, that's a very sort of normal Anzac day and I found it so nourishing to connect. But I'm really intrigued to hear from your perspective, not only like probably your first full attendance, but also now having that appreciation of everything that's been going on. Yeah. Oh, um, I think I just have like a deep kind of desire to connect to it because of what we do here and how closely I've worked in this space and how much it's made a mark on my heart you know like I think the 
people and impact that we've had and you know the connection that I have with you like it has it definitely holds a deeper place in my heart so there's already that there um uh, the dawn service I think Karamba did a beautiful job at the dawn yeah, service absolutely. like obviously I have nothing to compare it to but I think they just did a phenomenal job and it was just yeah beautiful I think you spoke really well I think he she like, has to say that I can but you also know I'll be honest if you're not yeah she will actually <laughs> she calls me out <laughs> Um, so I just... And behind the scenes, Sam, like, <laughs> actually listened to me rehearse that, like, 15 times. And for everyone knows, I don't rehearse speeches. Like, I don't like writing down speeches, but this one they gave me, like... Okay, wait, why don't we go back to the start where you're like, I'm just going to wing it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, so I think we should write a speech. <laughs> but, well, particularly when they gave me only, like, three and a half of minutes, which we still fudged out to four, and... Just with so much going on, wanting to get all key messages in there, Sam made me sit down and write down a speech and it went through 10 revisions and 20 recordings and bouncing words off each other. And I think I've actually, I'm actually really proud of that speech and that's mm. just not my words. There was people like uh, Andrew mm-hmm. helping put in words, Sam sitting there bouncing words off me and then just... <laughs> Getting comfortable and slowing down talking. Slowing and down, yeah. Sam's my coach behind the scenes in all this and she doesn't get near enough credit, but it was pretty <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, so I loved um, being there in person and watching that and supporting you and like just being amongst the feeling. I think I probably more so witnessed this in the Anzac March. Like I loved watching the march so much because yeah. you can... It's just like so wholesome. Like you literally watch these people that are so proud, like you can just tell that they're so proud and they're in their like team, unit, what groups. Are you, groups. <laughs> <laughs> they're in their groups and they're like walking and then you just look at them like, I just looked at every single person like they have a story to tell, like they're full of wisdom, like they're so proud to be there yeah. and then your heart just gets like so ripped around like how do they want to take this away from them and like you can just see how much you come together and I just was like I want to hear everyone's story, like I just want to hear what you have to say because there was none of that like blame like that kind of stuff was just like gone in the march everyone was just like reflecting you could tell like from their the way that they just showed up like just reflecting on their past like the team who they're with like well that's it and like walking with so much pride and i freaking loved that well so sam is the type of person who loves to speak and engage with people like she has more energy than me in doing this and it's impressive to see and particularly when we were down in melbourne the day before Poor old Sam just became the magnet for every beautiful old veteran who wanted to outpour their anger and animosity at the Department of Veterans Affairs, at the difference between the Merka, Circa, Durka, at how they were handled with this policy and that policy. And poor old Sam doesn't know half of the stuff they're talking about. And there was one guy on three different occasions I had to come over kind of jokingly and say, hey... Go easy on her, I need her. <laughs> and then I walk away and come back five minutes later and I can still see that Sam hasn't spoken a single word, but this guy's still going. And I was like, hey, just so you know, she's not a veteran. She doesn't work for DVA. He's like, oh, no, but I'm just letting her know about how the differences with Merka and Durka. And I was, <laughs> I'm just like, turn to Sam and go, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> no, 
it's like I I get it like and I love hearing people's stories and I think yeah. but but what I specifically loved about Anzac Day was like there wasn't any of that feeling you know it wasn't coming from that place it was just like pride yeah and like I want to hear those stories like tell me about like what you're experiencing right now in your march like what are you reflecting on and that's what I could see, like, and, and you could feel that in the energy. And I really loved watching that. Like, I thought it was amazing. And that's what I think, you, you heard me say it at the Corumban um, Chamber of Commerce breakfast, this sort of pyramid I'm trying to conceptualise with that foundation of community mm-hmm. followed by the next layer of identity and then the, the tip of the spear being that purpose. That purpose is really what can weaponize us to be brilliant. But uh, that Anzac Day piece is really that community piece and where people really get to reconnect with that identity in that collective and feel individually valued as a part of that community, Mm. you know. And the purpose is then placed onto others and the team and representing that identity and that community we're a part of really turns it into that whole selfless piece whereby every other day of the year, like the day before, when people really were there campaigning about the issues and why we need this Royal Commission, that's when that purpose was self. Uh, and, you know, you're trying to inject things like, you know, it is always for our mates and for others, but it comes from a place of um, inward focus as opposed to outward focus. And you're right, Anzac Day is just so pure and beautiful. And like you heard me say in that speech, the ability to think back and remember people who were judged on who they were and what they did, um, or sorry, what they did and how they did it, as opposed to who they were in yeah. that moment, what they represented and what they were aspired to be in that moment. And then you also, like, I even love sitting with your mum and she's like, oh, like, my my dad, like, and telling, and it was just, like, making memories come back from, like, when she was a kid and her dad went off and, or, yeah. like, growing up and, oh, my dad was in that group and, that you know, and I just loved, like, the reflection that people had and then seeing who was there witnessing this too and, like, wondering what their story was. I just like, yeah. I like that. And I think that is key. And I think we've all really realised over the last year how hyper-anxious um, slash just always looking forward we've become as a society from the next news cycle through to and the anticipation that is ingrained in everything that we do and it's those moments of actually truly looking back mm. where we realize like even just leading to this anzac day only because i did that collaboration with ancestry did i realize that i actually had a great great grandfather in world war Two and a great grandfather in world war one I. I didn't know that before this anzac day that was like a reality check to me it's like look back not for the purpose of anything other than that you might find something to learn as opposed to looking back with expectation, look back with optimism. Instead, we always look forward with optimism. That was really a key learning point for me. And I feel like this is part of like when you talk about mental fitness and you talk about getting together, reaching out to a mate, like checking in. It's like what are, when we are doing those things, are we just talking about all the shit that's wrong or are we asking them questions like that? Like yeah. do people get a chance to talk about some things that shape them in a positive way or like where are those conversations and that's what I think was evident that was being happening on Anzac Day yeah and that's whole comes to that point of you know trying to generate connection does it need to be for a purpose or just allow a purpose to develop and this is this whole again going back to that as long as we're connecting as a community and you can actually feel valued as a part of your identity Mm. then I'm more confident that you know purpose will actually manifest and create in many different ways as opposed to trying to force it along the way but Mm. 
So as an outsider then, if I saw pride, if I saw connection and sentiment, what did you experience? Yeah, this, this it, it, was, it was great, you know. I don't know. It's a, it's a mixed bag of emotions in that, I mean, you and I need to do another podcast to talk about this whole identity piece that I've been chatting about. That's just too much to put into this. Yeah. We'll do that on the next one. But uh, So I, yeah, turn up to the parade. I don't really know too many people in Brizzy, uh, but, you know, even walking to the, when I left you and mum and walking to the uh, assembly area, it was so cool walking past like a bunch of, I think it was the 8-9 band, 8-9 RAR band guys and some of the artillery guys and some of the young diggers in particular dressed up in uniform, recognised who I was and, you know, stopped and took the chance to say, hey, good day. And, you know, that was, that was, I found that like really flattering, to be honest. It was really nice to, you know, have random people you didn't know come and say, hey, good day, because that's not a very Australian thing to do. <laughs> But it is a very military thing to do and it sort of reminded me back to, you know, what we actually do in the military and care about, um, you know, character and competence. But then, you know, I actually went to find those in the in the Special Operations Command banner and there was the SAS Association, the Commando Association and that's that part where I actually feel less engaged with my actual community in the Special Forces world than I do in just regular conventional army world, you know, <laughs> within five minutes of being there in the formato area, I found like actually um, Tegan, one of the um, female staff that used to work with, and she's just a straight shooter and, you know, she cuts me down a peg or two and I did the same to her and we had a great old-fashioned chatter, those mental fitness sessions, and I found Kieran, who was actually my old army doctor, and he's now headed up that go-to health in Brizzy and we had some great chats because I need him to help fix me up, of course. <laughs> but then, you know, a couple of old and bold guys came up to me with their berets on and said, hey, g'day, and they were actually really complimentary and they were wearing their unit citations and they were kind of like, you know, thanks for the support with this. But then, you know, two sentences later, I pretty much got told that, hey, and we'd uh, really appreciate if you could, you know, now really focus on trying to get two squadron re-raised. And I tongue-in-cheek had a go at them i was like yeah that'd be great wouldn't it haven't you guys got like a whole association and a whole trust how about more than one person gets in the media talking about this and i had a few people <laughs> a few people in the community mention some similar things about other things they'd like me to focus on and i was kind of had this moment of just like i'm here just to like reconnect with my old identity and my old community and kind of relax today um you know, there was always this constant expectation and it kind of left me with this bit of a, I don't know, is this, this weirdness because I kind of feel, and as you know, Sam, we've really dedicated everything to doing what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And I really feel we've been able to achieve some great things supported by so many others and activating communities and networks. And But then there's always something to do and then... This is this issue that I've had throughout my entire career is that I've always tried to go above and beyond to support and provide the very best outcomes, you know, going those extra measures, and even in relationships as well. And I find it's very easy to sort of develop an expectation, a tendency, and even a, a selfishness, spoilt, spoiling people essentially. Mm. Um, so I don't know, maybe I was just tired or whatever, but it left me with a bit of a... 
don't know, bad taste in my mouth of... Is, is there something that you would like, like, from your team, from, like... No, I just want to be... I think this is... Well, actually, Sam, as you know, there's still probably this resentment I'm kind of actually working through when, you know, back on the 21st of October, you know, the ABC came out with that story. Marine heard a pop and named November soon. That's where a lot of this started from in the media, but we know it started before that with actually the mental health piece. And I just took to social media and spoke up. And as you know, not a single person from, not a single one of my old company commanders, my old unit commanders, anyone from within Special Operations Command, anyone within the military, like actually reached out and said like, hey, you know, this is not right. You know, we'll help you out or hey, how you doing? People who reached out to me were my old soldiers, were my old NCOs, were some of my peers, guys I never heard from before over at, in in Perth, in SASR, reached out. But like no one from, you know, my commando brethren, the whole commando for life thing. And that actually, you know, we talk about this context of moral trauma and resentment. I think I'm still probably dealing with a bit of that. Mm. And I think I probably still find myself working so hard for particularly my special forces community, because like I've told you, that was the best version of me. Mm. And that was the best team I worked with and they were my people. And then to probably feel the most distant from those, um, never hearing, you know, words of affirmation, um, never actually having people reach out to connect with you apart from those that I was responsible for. And don't get me wrong, some of my guys have been fantastic, but I've kind of find myself in that place, you know, almost looking for dad's approval from that unit that, as people have heard previously, is what I always wanted to join growing up. And, you know, even before this, I actually attended the Commando Welfare Trust Ball um, the other month, and um, I attended that on invitation from a friend, a civvy friend who owns a a corporate company and actually purchased a whole table and, you know, (laughs) there was all the hierarchy and, you know... I tried to engage with a few of them, but it was just, you know, when you just get that feeling that, <laughs> you know, you, yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting and maybe I'm reading into things too much, but we are going into this now. We've already lost into this, but this, I think I've been struggling a lot with my personal identity as far as matching it between community and purpose. As you know, we've been forging so far ahead on purpose. And in the meantime, have actually been really engaging with a whole new and fantastic community. But I've been struggling to sort of find my identity in there that isn't just simply an identity defined by purpose, you know, an identity that is really connected to, you know, my true positioning within this. And, you know, it's not something we're going to solve here on a bloody podcast. <laughs> I remember one time that we spoke uh, about, like, the the line between expectation and accountability. Yeah. And I feel like that is, like, w- coming up again. Well, you're right, and that's the hell thing, because you even asked the question, like, what do you want? Because, you know, I don't want to be brave. I just want to feel valued. I want to feel like someone cares. You know, this is the whole but thing. Obviously someone specific, because... I think it's more so my, sorry, you're right. It's my like former commanders, you know. Yeah. I just know how intrinsically motivated I am and compelled to have to support my team whenever they come under attack. And that's where this really started from. 
And then to not have, again, any of my former company commanders, any of my former unit commanders, or people who are senior rank to me sort of reach down and say, hey, man, <laughs> how you doing? That's been the hardest sort of betrayal piece to to work through. Um, that's that sort of, and as we've discussed with this beforehand, that's where it sort of leads you to the whole, you know, what what am I doing wrong? What's wrong with me? What's blah, 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 blah. Um, makes you sort of, that's where those moments, when those quiet moments kick in and there is no one there. For those people you wanted to, it, it comes from a place yeah. of, you know, back even in the unit, back in the days you wanted to sort of impress them. Yeah. I always had my loyalty to my guys and that was my primary focus. Mm. But just knowing that someone was having your back as well, which they did in the unit, but it's just this bloody officer world too often whereby very rarely do we actually truly support each other this competitive kicks in and i was never the best subordinate to the officers above me because i always prioritized my guys and the mission over relationships with them i already always focused on what i needed to do as opposed to being popular up and out and that is whatever it is but yeah it's just a fascinating personal reflection piece that i need to i need to work through because at the same time particularly moving to brisbane and just, you know, before that, the week before, I attended that Run Army legacy event of which my calves are still recovering from. <laughs> it was so awesome being there with people that didn't have any expectations of me and I didn't have any expectations of them and just authentically connecting and having conversations, mm. hearing about what the Brisbane-based guys and girls been up to. They've been working their asses off supporting everything from bushfires through to COVID and just how busy they have been, um, you know, behind the scenes, quietly, diligently working. And there were families, there were everything there. And it was just that it really made me reflect on a bit of that lifestyle that I remember growing up with as a kid when dad was in the military. And I, I spoke to a few friends and senior officers there as well, just really singing the praises of how, you know, this is that part, this is that community connection that helps instill that identity and really reinvigorates the purpose anyway yeah I mean we could go further into it but I think it's like mm. it's it can go in two ways when my brain is going okay but are you creating a story based on not knowing and connecting to the community that you want to be connected to because we don't know what their story is right yeah. or do you like do you do you wish that like more people were rallying with you and speaking out more too, or you know where do you, what do you, that's when I come back to like what do you actually want like what do you what would you like to see happen more people speaking up more people just reaching out and connecting with you I think it's just yeah that's a very good question you know we already have so many people reaching out and connecting with us and I don't mean to diminish and devalue any of that I think it's just the the key voices and support that is probably missing is those that I feel that um, potentially been working the hardest to support at least like, you know, the reputation of their command, their unit through to what I feel like the moral obligation to my guys because I was responsible for them to have someone potentially feel that because they were actually like directly responsible mm. for me in some shape and form. But that's it. I think, and as you know, I've been working through this with like, failed relationships and everything what I'm very good at is placing expectations on others without actually communicating those expectations 
but then I have to sit back and say, like, what am I looking? Do I require affirmation? Am I actually being selfish in seeking this recognition? And it's not recognition. You know, I'm not looking for media recognition or, or anything like that because everything's so public. It's just, like, knowing that someone's thinking about you. Like, anyone who's been in a relationship, something where you're actually, like, fully committed to something and, you know, essentially fully expose yourself vulnerably to, to have somebody just simply acknowledge that, they're thinking about you and they actually care about what you're doing um, because they understand it is for them as opposed to for yourself. How is this chipping away at your identity? Well, that's, for instance, in, in physical form, as opposed to hanging out at the special forces drinking place after the parade, I found myself looking to get out there as quickly as possible and I actually went and hang out with um. I actually went hand out, hang out with uh, Dan Curran and his partner Casey and some other friends, and I literally, from two o'clock until I think I got an Uber at ten thirty p.m. <laughs> and it was fantastic. But then again, you know, I ran into so many different people, and I probably had about a hundred people either come up and chest poke me about something, or come and grab a selfie, or just have a chat. It was so good. And that's when I then look at that in quick perspective because I had no expectations. Whereas when I was with my own people, I had this inferiority com- complex reach in from not having affirmation, then just completely letting go of that. I had a fantastic rest of my Anzac day, just relaxing and living in the moment mm. and engaging in conversations as they came, as opposed to feeling that I need to be prepared to justify my actions in being so outspoken, which again is not something we do in the special forces community prior. Yeah, I don't know. I'm inside my own head too much. We know this, Sam. <laughs> do you think that's it? Like, do you think it's it's because it's not natural to the special forces that you're battling with, like, the culture there of, well, we don't normally do this, and so what are they going to think of me? And so then maybe it's you pulling back. No, but the whole thing is to do whatever it needs to be done, yeah. not bound by or conforming to convention, precedent or rule, like the definition of unconventional. So it's not that. It's just it's, it's, it's culturally different. Yeah. Yeah. What allows you to keep doing what you're doing, even though you sometimes battle with this thought? Knowing it's the right thing to do. And in 100% honesty as well, knowing that you're there and those people who are reaching out to us is there and part of what you do is even relaying that information and just knowing that it needs to be done as you know my whole like modus operandi is i only really try and do things that i believe i can do completely and like like someone else potentially might not be able to do otherwise just duplicating effort and that was the whole thing when this started back in August when I had my own suicidal ideation that came from a place of thinking you need to use the profile you have to take your own life to achieve cut through to finally get these issues looked at and then having that realization that well how about you actually use that in a much more constructive way (laughs) to pragmatically approach these issues which we've been able to do ever since then and now like I said literally have those results and I just found it myself in such an interesting place whereby you know, so many people were so complimentary in acknowledging the support we've put into achieving things like maintaining the unit citation and the Royal Commission as a part of so many other people's efforts as well. I really need to make note of that. But 
you know, it sort of then turned to a, <laughs> yeah, really need to improve on stopping and smelling the roses yeah. and enjoying those moments. I think more. it's like, I think it draws on a good reflection on purpose for you as well, you know, yeah. because I think there's so many times in what we do, we reflect back to that time why and where we connected to the why you're doing this Yeah. and back in that time in August to 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 allow you to keep going and I think that show I think you show it really well you demonstrate this authenticity piece of knowing your purpose knowing why you're doing something and being so like no matter what like I'm in it for this reason like I'm in it for the why I'm in it for the right thing to do because only I can do this you know yeah and I think that shows people like I think that inspires a lot of people like we have a lot of people that were right in saying things like that yeah and you know, and, and I see, I can see sometimes in the days that are really hard, in the days that, you know, you, you, you allow the self-doubt to creep in, you allow all these things to creep in based on what might be going on in your head or outside. And you somehow, on the hardest days, can just like crawl into the deepest part of you that's like, this is why I'm doing it. And you go and you just like deliver amazingly and I think that is just such a good example of when you're connected to something so strongly that's what you can make happen yeah I think I've really really realized uh, how much I actually suffer from loneliness Mm. and that is in particular like at the moment that's sort of like the anticipation and fear even moving forward from this last hyper period you know it's been so amazing even engaging with a new community like even out at Corumban, like as you know, the community out there were incredible and the conversations with the people we had in and around the, the RSL and the club, like they're just doing it the right way. And that um, Chamber of Commerce breakfast, like I told you, that was inspiring before even getting up and talking. And I didn't even speak from proper notes. It was just inspired in the moment. And that level of inspiration I spoke about in the Anzac Day speech is hard to find, but it comes from truly connecting with the community. And that's what I need to really look forward to invest to now because we spoke beforehand about having that baseline community, having your identity linked to that and the purpose as the, the spear tip on top. And what we've been doing is, and what I've been doing is forging ahead on purpose, you know, and you can do that. You can do that and keep doing that, but, you know, affixing your identity completely to that you know again will get you so far but without that community that foundational support underneath it that's where it really gets lonely and that's where your ability to sustain that drive really starts to wane and I mean right now Sam and I are literally recording this from a hotel room here in Canberra because that's where we really need to move on to phase two is actually really bringing in a building and supporting a community to help us be able to achieve multiple purposes, but more importantly, be able to sustain the purpose and draw a greater and stronger identity united to push forward. Because if there's one thing that I can now put my thumb on, even just from this conversation, really linking everything back, is that my purpose has become my identity. My identity has become my purpose. And what I don't actually have is that true and authentic connection to my community, regardless of what community that is. Be that, that was my community in Sydney. That's the community, the veteran community up here. I'm sort of engaging with them as a part of my purpose. And my identity, again, is affixed to that purpose, not affixed to the community. So now I need to look to transition 
my identity to a community because the number one thing I suffer from is loneliness. When it's all quiet and when there's not activity around the purpose, my identity is left lost in that limbo land because the purpose is resting mm. and the community engagement isn't already set and established. What about the connection to self? Well, self, and that's this identity piece. Yeah, um, I don't know, because this is the whole thing. Self is wholly committed to purpose. So when purpose quietens or stops, then and you're left with yourself. Then self has to be rediscovered. Yeah. But that's where, you know, even having these moments, like I'm, I'm quite comfortable with who I am as a person. Yeah. But it's just that inherent human nature of needing, as you know, I'm best when I'm around others. Others help me be inspired, mm. help me be responsible, help me be the best version of me. And it's not a reliance on them. It's more so an opportunity. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah, and, and, I, and I get that. And I'm not saying there's a right or wrong here, but I'm thinking then, like, what's the thing? You know, um, the cave that you fear to enter is where the... I can't remember the exact quote, but is, like, where the jewels lie, right? And so, like, the thing that you're avoiding is if it's self, then is that not where the medicine is? I don't know if it's self. I think it's... Like, when you say everything goes quiet and I'm left with myself... Yeah. There's no way out. It's like... Well, I like to be useful. Mm-hmm. So I like to be relevant. And as you know, my love language is acts of service. So if I'm not able to do things for others, that's where I struggle. Whereas the love language I receive is um, quality time. And what I haven't done is establish sufficient connection with people that when there isn't things for me to show love, I can actually stop and feel love. There you go. How's that? We, <laughs> we just had this little epiphany. When I'm unable to show love through acts of service because there's nothing to do, I haven't set the conditions where I can actually stop and feel love through quality time, through having people I can just authentically connect with who want to just be with me and around me without a purpose. Wow. ladies and gentlemen this wasn't pre-scripted and i hope this recording hasn't stopped but that's that's that true and authentic connection and that's what i'm sort of missing and that's where i need to better invest in because up until this point i'm engaging with people in order to provide love Mm -hmm. to fulfill a purpose as opposed to look to establish the return highway essentially whereby there's more of a a personal connection and i mean this is what i did throughout my entire career be it trying to hide my sexuality through to just the nature of the jobs you know get in there and achieve the requirements particularly triggering and engaging someone else's emotions without committing yourself to the level of vulnerability and be able to move on you know i've always been able to maintain skin deep level relationships the whole way through it's not that it's not skin deep as in I don't care about them and the relationship. It's more so I haven't truly gone past my own skin deep. I've definitely buried myself in depth with their physical, mental and emotional um, self and, and part of me truly caring to that. But I haven't actually opened myself up to allow the same level of yeah. contribution. 
And could maybe like the relevance that you want to feel is coming from, well, if I'm committed to my purpose and I'm serving and I'm like doing all these great things for the community and like helping and, you know, you're so you're so selflessly in that a lot of the time. Do you think that you're drawing on your relevance from there? And so therefore putting up barriers to connect like we had to have this conversation where i was like hey i also just want to hang out with heston yeah yeah, yeah. like and so is there like this kind of idea that you've already created around like i need to give and serve and be a be of you know yeah there's probably these expectations i put on myself as opposed to again just embracing that humanity and normality and imperfection you know I me, mean? I, I keep trying to push myself to achieve the very best I can. And that comes from a place of responsibility given now how much we have been able to achieve and how much others tell me they're sort of relying on, not relying on, but drawing inspiration from. I guess I take that to keep trying to be... You take it on as responsibility, which is good. But also it's trying like... to be as, not as perfect, that's ridiculous, but as close to being the best without error, without fault. Whereas this is the whole thing, you know, being more normal and relatable is actually exactly it. But at the same time, trying to pursue past, always past mediocrity. Uh, I don't know. I'm confusing myself here. (laughs) I think it's like, I just think you have a strong, a strong like pathway of purpose and, and service that sometimes, okay, this is just this, this is just my own perception perhaps. Yeah, do it. So, I think that you have such a strong pathway of mission purpose and sometimes you draw your relevance and thinking that the only way to connect is through doing that for people whereas perhaps shut out the people that are like wanting just to connect for they don't want anything in return yeah I think that's it it's probably always thinking that I need to demonstrate my usefulness or relevance to people to be valuable to them as opposed to Mm. This is it, as opposed to just engaging without expectation, just engaging randomly in flip-flops with messy hair and just living in the moment. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, that's insightful. Very insightful. Mm. I think this has been a good week for these types of reflections, you know? Like, I think, and I hope that more people are having these conversations based, like, off the back of Anzac Day and different things of how, you know, ref- just reflecting on, on purpose, on where they're at in their life right now and on if they have these communities to connect with. Yeah, absolutely, and that's, that's really that key message we try to drive home for Anzac Day. You heard me say it as far as too often I feel we confuse Anzac Day with Remembrance Day and... You know, they're both times where you look back and pause to reflect. And it's all down to your own individual interpretation. But for me, it's like day really is that key day where, you know, I remember those who we've lost, but I remember those who pushed through literally on those shores of Gallipoli in the face of absolute hell on earth. And just remember that level of inspiration that you've heard me talk about that once you have been so inspired that you literally didn't care what happened to you because you cared more about those you around and why you were doing what you're doing it opens up this level of perspective that is impossible to replace and forget and is inspiring from a complete lens of responsibility having been afforded the opportunity to achieve that level of inspiration and just again this perspective 
And that's for me, it's so easy again into this day and age to forget that and get moving on to the anticipation, the next thing and focus on self a lot more. But it's just physically stopping going out in the cold and it was bloody cold at Crump and <laughs> yeah, like Jack Emery. <laughs> Sam and I were like shaking on the chair next to each other. But, you know, having that sensory motivation to engage those actual memories and link emotions back to them and cause that reflection and then truly connecting with people on some form of commonality, mm. volunteering to go out and attend parades and support and, you know, cheer and just get together and have those conversations. I think that's the key thing we've realised. We talk about these mental fitness sessions. That Anzac Day is such a huge mental fitness session for everyone that we need to now actually really remember the opportunities that's provided, the health and wellness that's provided, and find our own ways to do more of it as opposed to saving it up for one big day you know just getting together and having these conversations and these reflections and you know even if it is just getting together with your mates to this next weekend to reflect on Anzac Day or Mm. while you still have that level of residual motivation from how that made you feel particularly not having ceremonies the last year to then push forward and capitalize on that and plan something next week with your mates and hold each other to it and you know, that's the opportunity to snowball these things just to at least try and maintain endurance as long as we can. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's amazing. And I don't know if, like, it's normal to talk about, uh, like, how it shaped you or, you yeah. know, the, reflect on things like that. But, oh, like, I don't know if I'm just the weird person that asks those types of questions, but that's what I find. I wish I could sit down with so many people that were in that Brisbane march and just, like tell me a story because I just found I could just see it written all over them so yeah I think people want to want to know those things if you were open to sharing you know yeah no absolutely I mean there's a lot of negativity around what happened with some of the other demonstrations and fencing offs of things in Melbourne and all this sort of stuff but whatever you did and wherever you are it's so important to just reflect back on how you what action you took and how you felt and what you would like to remember from your Anzac Day experience to then mm. help us provide some more positivity moving forward. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of the Voice of a Veteran podcast. Please really do conduct some of your own reflection. Reach out to some of those that you shared Anzac Day with, weren't able to share it because they were locked up in poor old Western Australia. But as a bare minimum, focus and harness the positivity and the optimism that can be created from these events and occasions. And at least this year, try that a little bit harder to carry them further forward. If you'd enjoyed this episode, please head online, give us a rating. The better you get our ratings, the more we can appear in those searches and the more people we can touch and hopefully inspire and at least join together in our community. Otherwise, we look forward to hearing you next time on the Voice of a Veteran podcast. See you. See ya.